Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Thank you very much for that reading, Rebecca. Um, Good evening, everyone. My name is Lockie, if you haven't met me before, and it is an absolute privilege tonight to be able to dive into the the Word of God with you all here. I feel very close, so I might just move back a little bit. Um, So as we start tonight, I've got a question for you. How many of you here have been on a plane before? You might have to dig back into your memory a little bit before COVID times, but I think quite a few of us here tonight have been on a plane before. Now, how many of you out of those people have been sitting on that plane and actually thought about what it is that's happening? Been a little bit freaked out, been a little bit scared. You're sitting there in a big metal tube, two big but pretty thin bits of metal just sticking out the side. You're thousands of meters off the ground, traveling at hundreds of kilometers per hour. Your life and the lives of hundreds of other people are literally in the hands of a couple of people in the cockpit that you've never met before. Have you ever had that slight fear pop into your head as you think of all the things that could go wrong? All those episodes of air crash investigations suddenly recalled to memory. You think of 9-11 or MH370 and you start to worry about whether the pilots actually know what they're doing, whether they're sleeping, incapacitated, whether there's a terrorist on board, whether those two thin bits of metal sticking out the side are actually enough to keep a heavy, heavy plane laden with thousands of people up in the air. Maybe this is the one flight in three million that ends in a fatal crash. One has to be, right? Why not this one? How many of us have had that thought, even for a moment? And I suppose that for most of us, this is just a momentary fear, right? The rational part of our brain kicks in. We focus on the fact that it's more likely that this flight is one of the other 200,999,999 that don't end in a fatal crash. We remind ourselves that physics actually works and keeps planes in the sky. The pilots have had years of training and thousands of hours of flight time. And we can relax. We focus on our faith in the safety of planes. And that drives out our fear of flying. But for other people, maybe for some of you, that fear isn't so easily driven out of your mind. No matter what you think, what you tell yourself, you just can't help but focus on the fact that something might go wrong. So you either grit your teeth and hold white-knuckled onto the armrests for the duration of the flight, or maybe you don't at all. Sometimes we can focus on these fears and they overcome us. They drive any faith that we do have in planes and flying completely out of our mind. Now, this doesn't just happen with flying. It's also the same with our Christian life. Either our faith in God drives out our fears or our fears drive out our faith in God. And this is what we see in our passage this evening. In our third and final week of our Let's Faith It series, 
we look at how, one, fear drove out the faith of the disciples, and then two different ways that Jesus responded to this faith, to this event, and what we can learn from that. So as we jump in, would you please join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and ask that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that you are a great and powerful God. We thank you that we can have faith in you and we can have a grounded faith in you and that faith can drive out our fears. We, are, we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's get started with this first point, looking at how fear drove out the faith of the disciples. So grab open your Bibles, grab it up on your phone. I think it's actually up on the screen, possibly. Anyway, um, and let's read with me from verse 23. Starts with, then, but let's just stop there for a sec. This first word is a really important one. It helps us to remember that this little story that we're about to jump into is part of something larger. It's not one isolated event that happened in Jesus' life, but it's part of a larger whole. It can only be properly understood if we look to its context, its place in the chapter, in the book of Matthew, even in the context of the whole Bible and story of God working throughout history. And these things are really important and help us to get at the meaning of this passage. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of faith in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. In the first week of the series, Ollie helped us to see Jesus and his interaction with a centurion and the faith, faith that this Gentile had in Jesus. Now, last week, Vineet showed us that there's a cost to choosing to truly follow Jesus. And this cost is no less than prioritizing following him over everything else in the world, even money and family. Those who truly follow him have to be aware of this price and be willing to pay it. And then, let's move on, get to the rest of our passage for today. So, look with me again at verses 23 to 25. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Here we see Jesus getting into the boat after his teaching about the cost of discipleship. And we see that his disciples followed him. Now isn't that interesting? Jesus had just finished saying that following him is hard. It requires a huge sacrifice. And yet, these disciples still decide to follow him. They've understood the cost. They're willing to pay it. They're committed. It's a bit like that moment when you click the confirm order button when you're shopping online. It's no going back now, come what may. But straight away, their faith gets tested. Their trust in Jesus is challenged. Are they truly willing to give up everything for him? We see a furious storm comes upon the boat. So crazy, so big that waves are sweeping over the boat. That would be pretty scary, right? Even for seasoned fishermen like Simon, Andrew, James and John, they knew the dangers of being out in the middle 
of a storm in a boat. And they're freaking out. They think they're going to die. The confidence that they had in Jesus, their faith, their trust in him, it just disappears in the face of this storm. Their faith was being driven out by their fear. They were so overwhelmed by their circumstances and their fears that they focused solely on these things. And they lost focus of the object of their faith. They lost focus on Jesus. And what was Jesus doing this whole time? Well, we see in verse 24, he was sleeping. What does this show us? Well, maybe he was just so incredibly exhausted by all his ministry and the busyness of life that he needed a little nap. We've all been there, I'm sure. I'm sure people with exams at the moment can probably relate. But there's a deeper meaning here as well. Jesus sleeping shows that he wasn't worried. He knew that his time hadn't yet come. If the disciples had their eyes fixed on Jesus instead of on what was going on around them, maybe they would have taken cues from him. Maybe they would have recognized that if Jesus wasn't worried, they didn't need to be either. But this wasn't the case for them. The storm caused them to fear, and this fear chased out their faith. But they still knew where to run when they were afraid, and that was to Jesus. This is what they do in verse 25, we see. Jesus, wake up, wake up! There's a crazy storm, we're going to die, save us! So what can we learn from how the disciples act in this situation? Well, we see that when we focus on fear, that fear grows and gets bigger and bigger, and it drives out our faith. If you feed your fears and focus on them, your faith is going to starve. So instead of looking to our fears, we should look to Jesus. And if Jesus isn't worried, then maybe we shouldn't be either. So now we get to the second part of our talk tonight. And this is Jesus' response, and we've got two parts here. I've broken it up into two parts because I think there are two main things that we can learn from how Jesus responds to the disciples in this situation. Firstly, we can learn that it's the object of your faith that is more important than the size of your faith. And secondly, that despite this, Jesus wants your faith to grow. The object of your faith is more important than the size of your faith, and Jesus wants your faith to grow. So let's look at the first part of this. The object of your faith matters more than the size of your faith. So we come to verse 26. We see Jesus, his response to the disciples who are freaking out about this storm. He replies, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the waves and the wind, and it was completely calm. The disciples, freaking out that they're about to die, they come to Jesus and they wake him up. And they say, Save us, Jesus, save us. Doesn't Jesus' response seem pretty weird? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? I imagine the disciples' reaction could have been something like this. Why are we afraid? Really, Jesus? 
Can you see this storm around us? Can't you hear the raging wind? Feel the spray of the water? Maybe if you were to stand up instead of lying down there on the floor in the boat, you could see what's going on. We're about to die. And you ask us why we're afraid? And even worse, you say that we have little faith? Sure, we're scared, but we came to you, didn't we? Was Jesus wrong to call them out like this? Did the disciples actually have faith in Jesus by coming to him and asking him to save them? Should they not have been afraid in this circumstance? And to be honest, this is a question that I really struggled with when I was looking through this passage and writing this message. And it would have been a lot easier just to skip over that, focus on other things. But I think it's important to briefly try and understand this question. Like, Did the disciples not have faith? And in my reading, I came across this quote, which I found really, really helpful in understanding what Jesus is getting at here. So the quote goes like this. The question, why are you so fearful, together with the address, you who have such little faith, is a rebuke to the disciples for not trusting and not fully appreciating their master. Here's here's the good bit. If the disciples respond to an absolute call to discipleship, and hence to leave all and risk their lives, they must also understand that the one who calls them will also preserve them in whatever circumstances they may find themselves. The disciples, when they responded to Jesus, when they responded to his call to give up everything and to follow him, they were putting themselves and their futures in Jesus' hands. They had great faith. They were saying, you are now the master. You're in control. I'm yours. But in this storm on the sea, they suddenly doubt whether this was a wise move. Whether Jesus actually was going to look after them. Whether he even could. They went from saying, I'm yours, whatever may come, to actually, I want to be in control of my own life again. Sorry. And this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus called them to. It shows that they had lost faith lost the faith that Jesus desired from his disciples. So, if they really had faith in Jesus, being in control, being able to look after them, come what may, then, yeah, they probably shouldn't have actually been so afraid. So, moving on, we see that after criticizing his disciples for this lack of faith that we've just been talking about, Jesus gets up anyway, and he rebukes the waves and the wind. And this mighty roaring winds, these gigantic rolling waves all stop. And there's dead quiet. Why, after such a seemingly harsh rebuke of the disciples and their lack of faith, why would he then do the exact thing that they asked him to? We saw that Jesus wasn't worried, right? He was in control anyway. Things were going to be okay. But Jesus calms the storm, even though the disciples have lost their trust and confidence in him, the willingness they had to pay the price to follow him. And this had disappeared. Why would Jesus do this? Well, let me tell you about John and Frank, 
John and Frank are two mates who are out one day for a walk. They live near the coast and they enjoy walking along the tops of cliffs that rise straight up at the edge of the sea. So one day they're out, they're walking along these cliffs and John suddenly points out a pod of dolphins swimming in the ocean. And they're so close, they're doing cool stuff like riding the waves and jumping and flips and whatever other cool moves that dolphins do. And of course this looks awesome and so Frank and John get closer and closer to the edge of the cliffs just so that they can see better. Soon they're standing right on the edge when suddenly the dirt slips out from under their feet and they're falling straight down towards the rocks at the bottom of the cliff. Lucky for them, halfway down the cliff, there's a tree growing right in the right spot. And it looks like this could save them. As he's falling, John sees the branch on his side of the tree. It looks small and flimsy, nowhere near big enough to hold his weight. Maybe if he'd eaten a few fewer hamburgers in his life, but no, there's no way. It's not going to hold me, is it? He thinks. I'm about to die. He has so little faith in the branch stopping him. But he reaches out anyway. And he grabs hold of it. And it holds. He's saved. Frank, on the other hand, looks down on his side of the tree. And he sees a branch quite a bit bigger, quite a bit stronger than John's. Now he's pretty confident that this branch is going to hold his weight. He's a bit scrawnier than John, and this branch is a lot thicker. And in his mind, he's confident. Ha! What a story this will be to tell. Saved by a tree, hey? I'm so grateful that this big, solid branch was here. Poor John only has a small, flimsy one, and that's just bad luck. And Frank, too, reaches out, grabs his branch, and crack! His way. Turns out it had been eaten away by termites, and it had rotted out on the inside, and sadly, Frank keeps on falling. Poor Frank. And what does this show us? Well, as Tim Keller says, strong faith in a weak branch, like Frank's, is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch, like John's. It's the object of your faith that is the strength of the branch, that is so much more important than the size of your faith. Just how confident you are that that branch will hold your weight. And this is why Jesus calmed the storm. Even though the faith of the disciples was small, it wasn't the size of their faith that was important. It was the fact that their faith, however small, was placed in Jesus. They weren't sure that the branch was going to hold them and save them. But they did choose the right branch. The object of their faith was strong enough to save them, even if they didn't know that or believe that. And this leads me to ask you guys a difficult question. What branches in your lives are you trusting to save you? And are they up to the task? Maybe you're trusting in a career to make you happy and help fulfill your purpose to support you in the long run? Maybe you think that it's a relationship that will fill that hole that you have inside of you. Maybe it's studying hard, doing well in exams, getting good grades at uni so that your parents and friends are impressed and they praise you. Maybe it's money that's the answer to all of your problems. 
or that all the problems of the world would be solved if only the government got their act together, or if only some new technology was developed. Can I be blunt and tell you that these are all weak branches? They will not, they cannot hold your weight when you fall. They may look strong and foolproof, but they're not. There's only one branch strong enough to hold you, and that branch is Jesus. What would it look like for you to have him as the object of your faith? So now, the second thing we learn from Jesus' response. So we see, we have just seen that even though a little bit of faith is enough to save us, because it's the object of our faith that's important, not the size, even though that is true, Jesus doesn't want, sorry, Jesus does want our faith to grow. He wants us to have a faith that drives out fears. When he says, oh, you of little faith, that's not a good thing. It's a rebuke. We need to see it as such. Jesus wants his followers to have great faith and trust in him. He wants to see them grow and to mature, not just to be content with where they're currently at. So how do we see Jesus go about helping the disciples grow in their faith in him? You might be thinking, well, he calms the storm, right? It's positive reaffirmation and reinforcement of the fact that Jesus is powerful and has authority and he'll come through for you if you run to him in fear. Surely that's what helps the disciples' faith faith grow. Yeah, that is true, but there's something more. And it's really easy to skip this bit when we're reading this passage. Jesus reveals a deeper truth here. Deeper than the fact that he is just powerful and has authority. And he does this in a subtle but amazing way. Up on the screen, we should see Psalm 107, 23 to 31. So why don't you read it along with me? Verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They're at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storms to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Again in Psalm 65, verses 5 to 8. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of the all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. When morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Or again, Psalm 89 Verse 9, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you steal them. So who in all of these passages has the power 
to calm the storms and steal the waves. It's God, right? And so when Jesus does something that again and again and again is associated with God in the Old Testament, what's Jesus claiming? He's claiming that he's God, right? When he calms the storm, Jesus not only demonstrates that he has incredible power and incredible authority, but he actually claims to be God. He starts to reveal to his disciples that he is God. And finally, the disciples react in the right way. They don't just say, oh, hey, thanks Jesus for calming the storm. We thought for a few minutes we were goners. What's next? I think we'd react in the same way that the disciples did. So imagine you got caught outside in the storm that happened just the other day with some friends. And you've got nowhere to shelter. The rain's coming down, the hail's getting bigger and bigger. There's thunder and lightning. One of your friends just kind of ironically starts singing, rain, rain, go away, come again another day. And all of a sudden, the rain stops. The hail disappears. The clouds are carried away and the sun appears. You wouldn't just look at your friend and be like, thanks for that, mate. No, like the disciples, you'd be amazed. You'd ask exactly the same question. Who is this guy? And this is the exact question that Jesus wanted his disciples to ask. This is one of the reasons that Jesus stilled the storm so that his disciples might want to know him more, might want to know him better, might want to know him more fully, and that they might actually get to know him better and more fully. This is what Jesus sees as the antidote to a lack of faith, getting to know Jesus more and more. And we see this play out over the rest of the lives of the disciples. Right? As they grow in their knowledge of who Jesus is, they grow in their trust in him, their faith in him. But it's not until he is fully revealed to them through his death and through his resurrection that they actually grasp who he is and how much faith and confidence they can have in him. And after this realization, after they've seen the risen Jesus, nothing can stop them, nothing can faze them. Think of people like Stephen in Acts, who was willing to be stoned, to give up his life for Jesus. So strong was his faith. Think of the persecution and eventual execution of people like Paul. His willingness to face that because he knew the one in whom he had placed his trust. Think of the rest of the disciples. So frightened and easily dismayed by a storm. So frightened and easily dismayed by Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And yet, when they finally understand who he is, all of them but John were executed for death. And John himself was exiled. Can we see how right, how Jesus is right here? How better and more fully understanding and knowing him leads to a bigger and a stronger faith. And that bigger and stronger faith that Jesus desires his followers to have. This is the faith that is strong enough to drive out any fears that you might have. So as we finish the message tonight, and so our Let's Faith It series, what should we be taking away from this? Firstly, it's really important that we remember that all of us, from the newest Christian to the most mature Christian, 
have moments where Jesus would be well within his rights to look at us and say, Oh, you of little faith. We are all plagued by doubts and by fears. But what matters is how we respond to this. Do we focus on our doubts and our fears? Do we feed them and let them grow so large that they chase out any faith that we have? Are there any areas in your life right now where you're currently letting these fears chase out the faith that you have? Or on the other hand, do we look to Jesus, the sure, strong branch that is able to keep us from falling, even when we only have a very little bit of faith? Do we remind ourselves that it's the object of our faith that is much more important than the size of our faith? Do we focus on Him who desires to reveal Himself to us and by so doing, grow our faith so that it chases out all of our fears? We are so blessed today to have the full revelation of God, so easily accessible to us in our Bibles. That revelation that changed Jesus' disciples from those of little faith to great heroes of the faith. So can I encourage you to go? Meet with him in the pages of Scripture. Learn ever more about the one in whom we have trusted and put our faith. And allow that revelation to grow your faith too. Let's look to Jesus, the object of our faith. Let's focus on him above all else. And let's see how our fears and doubts run from our mighty God. So to finish tonight, I'll invite the musos back up. We're going to be singing, Be Thou My Vision. It's a beautiful hymn. Can I encourage you to sing this as a prayer, as a response to what we've heard tonight, praying that God alone would be our vision, whatever may befall us.